I began last week in Petoskey, and I want to continue here, and it's a journey that's going to take us about a year as we go through the Bible book by book. And so uh, last week in Petoskey, we looked at Genesis, and God is a God of beginnings. But not just is God a God of beginnings, he's a God of new beginnings as well. And so today we're going to move to the next book. What's the next book? Exodus, right? And so we're going to look at Exodus. Sometimes we'll look at just one verse or one chapter in the book. Other times we'll try to synthesize the book. And uh, I want to get a big picture of this book as we look at it today. But I want to begin with a what I really regard as an amazing story. You've probably heard of the story before. It took place about... Uh, well, close to 50 years ago, Julianne uh, Kopke was a, a 17-year-old girl. She lived with her parents in the country of Peru. They were both uh, biologists, uh, and they studied uh, the animal life in the jungle. And she had been in Lima, in the capital of Peru, and had finished her uh, course, and they were flying back to the to their missions, uh, not mission station, to their uh, research station uh, on the Amazon side of Peru. So you had to go over the Andes Mountains and then descend into the jungle there, where the uh, where the, the the research station was. As they were somewhere over the Andes, or actually they had crossed the Andes and were coming down into the jungle, they entered a terrible lightning storm, and the plane was struck by lightning. The lightning hit the fuselage, exploded that, took off a wing, and the plane literally began to disintegrate in midair. She remembers coming to, and it had been all this commotion, and this was Christmas Eve, by the way, and so people had been going to visit family and things like this. She remembered presents flying all throughout the airplane and uh, all this commotion. She comes to, and it's silent. She is about two miles up in the air, descending rapidly still buckled into her seat. And uh, she blacks out again. And the next thing she knows, it's nine in the morning because she looked at her watch and her watch was still working. And she is in the jungle somewhere. She's still buckled to her seat. People still wonder how this happened. Uh, because to fall two miles from the sky and only break your collarbone and have a gash on your arm is miraculous. Some speculate that she was falling upside down in the three seats because there are three seats together and she was in one of them, uh, was acted somewhat as a parachute. Others speculate that Perhaps it hit the jungle foliage and uh, broke the fall in some way, shape, or form. But she had no idea where she was. She was in the jungle 
the Amazon rainforest, and she can't find anybody else that is alive. She looks for her mother who is on the plane, uh, does not find her. She gathers some of the candies or sweets that she finds around there and begins trying to find a way out. Now, her parents were studied animal life, and she had been at the research station for several years. So her father had taught her some things about the jungle, and one thing that he had taught her was, if you're ever lost in the jungle, find a creek and follow that to a larger stream and follow that to a larger river, and eventually you will find some civilization. And so she remembered that, and that is what she began to do. You can imagine that this was not an easy circumstance. She had gashes. She had a broken collarbone. There's crocodiles in the water. There's piranha in the water, and she has a gash on her leg. A couple days into her journey, she realizes that the gash is now infected with maggots. And after 10 days, she finds a little hut and a boat on the larger river. She spends the night, she sleeps in that hut, and in the morning some Lumbermen come and find her, take her down to the hospital where she's reunited with her father, which they were flying back to be together with him. Tragically, she was the only one that survived that flight. Also tragically, when she led uh, searchers back to the site of the crash, They discovered that probably her mother had been alive for a little while before she had uh, died sometime after the crash. So there were several people that had survived the landing but did not make it out as Julianne did. She was stuck with no way out. The book of Exodus is about a group of people that are stuck with no way out. But God miraculously provides a way out for them. Exodus begins with a change. In the book of Genesis, you find the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham are privileged. Joseph is prime minister of Egypt. His family has the best of the land. Exodus begins by telling about a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And the bondage 
that they were under. We read about Moses, the deliverer of the children of Israel. And then as we read in our scripture reading, there's a statement that is repeated multiple times in the first chapters of the book of Exodus. Let's read it again. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. At least nine times you see this statement being made, Let my people go. You see it in Exodus 4, you see it in Exodus 5, Exodus 7, Exodus 8, Exodus 9, Exodus 10, Exodus 11. Again and again, the message given that that Moses is to give and that this message that is given to Pharaoh is, let my people go. Why did they need to go? Pardon? Okay, so they wanted to, one, at some of the, the times, this one is not one of them, but at some of the times when, when Moses repeat what God had said, let my people go, some of the reason is to have a sacrifice to their God. What does it say here in, in verse 8, in chapter 1, verse 8? To serve me, right? Let my people go that they may serve me. Why could they not serve him in Egypt? They were slaves. Now that's not saying that they could not serve him at all, but it wasn't the level of service that they needed and God desired. And so Moses is sent by God with a message to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. And it's repeated again and again and again. Now, something that's interesting. They were in slavery. But Moses comes and he speaks to Pharaoh and what happens to the children of Israel? Does it get easier or does it get harder? Harder. Why did it get harder? Okay, Pharaoh was angry. Pharaoh was uh, having repercussions for their request for relief. And so their workload increases, doesn't it? How does it increase? It increases because now they have the same quantity. They have to produce the same amount of materials, but they're not given the raw materials to work from. They have to go gather the straw and then use that in making the bricks. I've I've been in places in Africa where they still use that same method. You could see that they had made the brick, the, the blocks, and there was straw throughout it. It dried in the sun, and then they built their homes or whatever they were building there with these mud and straw bricks. Let 
Why did God allow it? It was already hard for them. The Bible records that they were already groaning severely because of the slavery and the bondage that they were in. Why does God allow it to become even harder for them? Their desire to increase for freedom to increase. I believe God was trying to take their love for slavery out of their hearts. Now, we don't think of anyone loving slavery, do we? Slavery is not a good thing. But from what we know of the story, did the children of Israel ever desire to go back to slavery? Again and again. Why did they desire to go back to slavery? They were comfortable where they were. There was, sti- there was food and water. There was stability, wasn't there? Yes, they had to work very hard all day. Yes, they were not free. Yes, they were told what to do. But they had a house. They had food. They knew where they were going to sleep. There was stability, and there was comfort in that stability. Change is hard, isn't it? Now I want to ask you, as we think about that, None of us would be considered slaves, right? Nobody would say, looking at us or knowing our circumstances, would say that we are slaves. Slavery is very real in the world still today. Estimates are that there are more slaves today than there have ever been in history and that slaves are even cheaper now than they were when slavery was legal in this country. There's all sorts of slaves. There's slaves in this country. There's textile slaves in uh, India, Bangladesh. There's uh, slaves in Africa. There's domestic slaves. There's all sorts of slaves. None of us would be considered slaves. But are any of us slaves? Is there a deeper slavery that God was trying to reveal to the Exodus generation? And I want to ask you something else. Are we ever more comfortable in our slavery to sin than to freedom from it? Sometimes God has to allow difficulties and problems to come to us in order for us to realize and to hate slavery so that he can deliver us. Now, the children of Israel thought that they disliked slavery, but... 
the after history reveals that they liked it a lot more than they realized or that they knew that they did. Exodus is about God's way out. God's way out of slavery. We come to chapter 19, if you want to turn there. Exodus chapter 19. Verses 5 and 6. We find basically in Exodus Exodus verses chapters 1 to 18, we see God literally setting his people free from Egyptian slavery. But we see a transition here in Exodus chapter 19 where God is now trying to take his slaves and make them his special treasure. Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. What did God want to make his people here? A special people. A kingdom of priests. A holy nation. A treasure to himself. God wanted to take these despised slaves and he wanted to make them his special treasure. He wanted to turn slaves into saints. So in chapter 20, verse 1, we're familiar with chapter 20. Chapter 20, of course, is the Ten Commandments. But notice the first thing God says here, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, what does he say? I'm your God that did what? Set you free from slavery. I brought you out of bondage. I decimated Egypt with those ten plagues. When they still wouldn't relent and they followed you into the Red Sea. I destroyed them there. I took you through the Red Sea on dry ground. Which dry ground is really a miracle when you think about it, isn't it? It's not just water opening. If the Straits of Mackinac were suddenly opened, how long would it take for the ground below to dry? I think the water has been there a long time and it's quite permeated the floor, whatever is there. God brought them out and he says, he brought them out with a strong hand. He was trying to show them the awfulness of slavery and the majesty and the power that he has. And then he takes them and he says, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to give you 
what the New Testament calls a law of liberty to live by. God took them as slaves. He set them free. But now they needed to know how to live, didn't they? And so he says, remember, I'm the God that set you free from slavery, from bondage, from the house of Egypt. Here is how freed men and women should act. And he gives the Ten Commandments. He gives some other principles later on as well. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Basically, from chapter 25 to the rest of the book, the end of the book to chapter 40, we see another aspect here. We see the building of the sanctuary wilderness tabernacle. Now, Exodus, when you look at it, Exodus does not deal with the ceremonies and the different rites that were performed in the sanctuary, Leviticus does that. Exodus deals with the construction of it and what it was to be like. So it goes through the Ark of the Covenant. It talks about the burnt, the altar of burnt offering the laver, the table of showbread, the candlestick, the uh, the altar of incense. It gives us details about the uh, the linen fence around the tabernacle. It tells us about the gold, the plated walls that were plated with gold, and how they were had silver uh, sockets and all of this. It gives us the information about the. Uh, the coverings of the tabernacle itself. It's, a, it's dealing with the building, the erection of a sanctuary. What did that have to do with exiting from slavery? Let's read a familiar verse, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. What was the whole reason here for making a sanctuary? God wanted to dwell among his people, didn't he? He set them free from slavery. He gives them principles to live by. And then he says, this is how I want to dwell among you. From slaves, despised slaves. to being the dwelling place of the God of heaven. That's quite a transition, isn't it? There's something else about this sanctuary. If we were to look at the sanctuary, which we don't have time to look at the sanctuary in detail, but if we were to look at it, Exodus, what does Exodus mean? 
Did I say this already? It's a way out. Exodus looks like exit, doesn't it? Exodus is a departure. Exodus is exiting. How does the sanctuary have to deal with a way out? The sanctuary reveals a path from the slavery of sin to the dwelling place of God. And if we could, if we had time, we could look at how the altar was representing, everything represents Jesus, but how it represents his sacrifice and how the holy place represents growing in him and learning of him and then the most holy place coming into his presence in a great, much greater and a deeper way. From slavery to having God dwell among you. Go to the last chapter of Exodus with me. Exodus chapter 40. It's interesting how Exodus ends. Recognizing this theme throughout the book of Exodus of God's way out or the way out from slavery to the dwelling place of God. Notice Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34. This tabernacle has been described and now after it's been described, it has been erected. And then notice the description. Verse 33 says, So Moses finished the work Then we read in verse 34 of Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the, above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God's presence was manifest among them. The glory was so great that not even Moses could enter the tabernacle. In Exodus 1, what do we have? Hard bondage. In Exodus 40, what do we have? God's presence being manifested among them. That's the journey God wants to take us on. God wants to bring us from the bondage, the slavery of sin, doubt, this world. God wants to take us from that slavery and that bondage to dwelling among us, to revealing His presence among us. What's the journey? What's the steps in that journey? The children of Israel had to recognize 
the misery of their slavery. They had to see the greatness of their God. And they had to surrender to God's plan for them. Then God could dwell among them. Where are we in that journey? And I would also suggest it's not a one-time journey. It might have been a one-time exodus for the children of Israel. But the spiritual significance of this is not a one-time journey. We can recognize the misery of the slavery to sin in one area of our lives and see God's glory and surrender to his way and allow God to cleanse that from us. But there can be another area of our lives that we cling to the slavery. By the way, what is slavery? Servitude? Bondage? If you are a slave, why are you a slave? Okay, because they bought you. You don't have your freedom. You cannot, of yourself, not be a slave, right? The only way to go from being a slave to a freed person is if someone else sets you free. Can we of ourselves set ourselves free from sin? We're slaves. That means we're in bondage. That means that we cannot get out of the predicament that we're in. But the problem is, even though we're slaves, even though we're in the predicament, too many times we prefer that to the uncertainty of something else. And so sometimes God has to make, allow trials, challenges, difficulties, whatever you want to call it, to come to us to help us to recognize the slavery and the misery of slavery. To bring us To where he can dwell among us as we surrender to him and follow his leading. The way out. God has provided a way out for us. But we have to be willing to follow his way. God gave the Israelites a yearly reminder of their deliverance from slavery. Every year, they remembered their deliverance from slavery as they celebrated 
the Passover service. When Jesus was here, he took the Passover. And he put in its place something infinitely greater. He instituted the communion service. But the meaning is the same. Passover celebrated the deliverance from slavery. The communion service commemorates Jesus' death, which delivers us, as we accept it, from slavery as well. Now we remember this more than just once a year. But God has given it to us. The book of Exodus reveals a way out. That 17-year-old girl found a way out of the uninhabited Amazon jungle by following one stream after another as it became bigger and bigger. God has provided a way out for us by accepting what Jesus has done and allowing what he has done to set us free from whatever sins we're in bondage to. May we experience that freedom that the Lord desires to give us. He is greater than any and all slavery if we'll allow him to set us free. If he can set an entire nation free from Egypt, he can set us free from whatever bondage is there in our, in our lives. May we experience his freedom today.